0: To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media.
1: I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original True Crime Review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, the FBI targeted a Las Vegas diet clinic owner for money laundering. Was it a setup? We'll review season two of Chameleon, High Rollers. Then some regular people find themselves committing high-risk, high-reward robberies. We'll talk about the Netflix anthology series, Heist. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast. My husband, love of my life, co author, co podcaster, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, that's me. It is you.
2: It's me. All right. That's- Hi, Rebecca.
1: <laughs> also with us is author, private investigator, certified, literally pet detective, and resident cat lady, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello.
3: And scootering madwoman like people spot me on my scooter everywhere now. Listen,
1: I have seen social media pictures from people that you don't know of you on your scooter of just your scooter in parking lots. It's very mm-hmm. impressive. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast from iHeart and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Well, Kevin, we have a lot to do tonight, so I think we should just get right into our first review. Is that okay with you? I'm
2: not going to stop you from doing that.
1: All right. Let's get it done. Leading off.
0: Michelle and Emil were talking about Michelle's business partner. He's got a lot of money, Michelle says. And at this point, Michelle has something else to say about his business associate. And, well, he might not be exactly on the up and
1: up. Emile Buhari was looking for investors for his Las Vegas diet clinic when a potential backer convinced him to launder some cash. But the investor and his associates were actually FBI agents and an informant hoping to bring Buhari and his friends down for financial crimes.
4: When I felt those handcuffs go on me, I got cold all of a sudden. You know, like um, I had this cold feeling or shiver up my spine like, wait a minute, what's going on here?
1: But the secret audio tapes reveal questionable tactics by the investigators. Instead of cracking a criminal enterprise, the operation sounded more like unsuspecting people who know nothing about money laundering, being entrapped by federal agents who use their time undercover to spend taxpayer dollars on liquor and lap dances.
2: I honestly think this is what this guy just wanted to do anyway. I think this had nothing to do with investigating the case. Um, I think this had nothing to do with like posing as an arms trafficker. I think this is literally, he was just using taxpayer money to just, just like basically support his like habits.
1: In season two of Campside Media's chameleon, High Rollers, host Trevor Aronson takes listeners inside the FBI's ill-fated Operation Botox. The podcast promises a tale of love triangles, gun runners, exotic dancers, wrongful prosecutions and a pair of agents having way too much fun undercover in Sin City. Now, we are going to be talking about plot points for Chameleon High Rollers, which remain spoiler-free. Go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Kevin, uh, you love malfeasance and receipts, do you not?
2: Oh, I do. I'm I'm thinking like of a Trial of Frank Carson and some other ones recently, where if you have a podcaster who is going to uh, point the finger... It's great, but if he can bring the receipts or she can bring the receipts, that makes for a really great podcast. So they've got a lot of you know good uh, source material here, all those audio tapes. And so you know, we'd like to see, okay, so we've got an interesting story about a weird sting. Let's see where this goes.
1: Now, Laura, I have a question for you about the title of this podcast: mm-hmm. High rollers. Is that referring to the alleged criminals or the FBI agents who are out to bust? alleged or non-criminals. I'm curious as to what you think about that. Oh, You know, I hadn't even thought
3: of that. I just was thinking high rollers and I was thinking Vegas and, and I hadn't gone too much deeper. But now that you say that, I think, you know, it definitely does apply more to Chuck and Dennis. Um, I mean, my freaking word, like listening to how much money they were spending on drinks and strip clubs. And then that operation prior to Las Vegas, when where was it? The Philippines, where they were actually them and their little counterparts actually had prostitutes. They're like, oh, no, no. The money was for her sick father. Yeah, okay. So, I mean, they, they're they definitely, I mean, you know, if you can get away with it, hey, I mean, good for you. Seems like a nice uh, nice little setup they have. And, and they certainly are high rollers in their world. And they they really uh, fit that profile after a while. They
1: really got into it. Now, Toby, I found myself thinking Emil Buhari, like, even his brother sort of casts him as, like, not like an angelic guy, right? But he is a primary source for the podcast. He's one of many characters in the podcast. But like, are there any characters in this podcast who aren't inherently seedy? Am I the only person who's like every single person? I'm like, oh, that guy's seedy. That lady is seedy.
4: Yeah. I don't know if I can identify one particular person who didn't seem seedy. But... What about
1: his brother? His brother's fine.
2: Who didn't but, do anything. No, no, but and... I will
1: say, his brother is the straight-laced, married family guy who also goes to strip clubs every night in Miami.
2: No, not every night. He got dragged there, don't but you? But he loves Listen clubbing. more closely to his story.
1: He loves clubbing and drinking. I'm just saying, he's fine.
2: He didn't love clubbing and drinking. No, he does. Okay.
1: It's Emil who doesn't love clubbing and drinking. His brother uh... does. He's the least seedy.
2: <laughs> so did Rebecca answer your question for you, Toby? <laughs>
4: Yeah. So shall we do what we always do and <laughs> break the- hey, um, <laughs> no? Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's regardless of that, there's one or two people who aren't that seedy. I mean, this whole podcast is about CDness and CD people and CD FBI agents and CD people who they're trying to set up and CD people who are complicit and and who know they are complicit, and seedy people who don't know they're complicit. And so it's just a lot of seediness, and it all takes place in Vegas and in strip clubs, and that's the tone.
1: And wiretaps, which are sometimes hard to hear.
4: Wiretaps, which I I realize that I'm not listening to them in, like, sort of pristine conditions, because I'm, like, doing the dishes, or I'm in my car, or doing something like that. But about a third of the time, I couldn't understand what the hell they were saying Yeah, and just assumed that it was probably something that didn't reflect very well on them and just sort of moved on.
1: I will say, production note for whoever's producing this podcast, the audio side of it, there's only one or two times where the host says, in case you didn't hear that what he said was, they need to say that every fucking time because you cannot hear what's happening on those wiretaps. No Um,
4: subtitles on a podcast.
1: Exactly. So, Kevin, um, let's talk about the production a little bit because episode one is not necessarily reflective of what the whole series is like, right?
2: No, you're right. I mean, I think, well, you have to start somewhere, right? So this episode one is sort of a setup of who Emil is and like getting into the fact that he was about to be targeted by federal agents. And I really think the podcast takes off with with episode two. So looking back, I don't know, oh, could you have restructured it or something like that? But you got, you got to start where you start. In any event, I really do think that we start picking up speed once we already know who the players are and we get into, okay, he needs money to expand his business and then this crazy shit happens.
1: Mm. So Trevor Aronson is a very dynamic host. Laura, I will just tip my hand and say, I think this podcast would have been a lot better if they just cut the first five minutes explaining why this great reporter was going to be hosting the rest of this podcast. Just cut it. Just say, Welcome to season two of Chameleon. I'm Josh. Uh, season two is about this. Let's just throw it to Trevor. Instead, they did this very, like, long thing. They party, and they hang out in majorly expensive Vegas steakhouses.
0: I'm going to stop you right there. The story takes place in Las Vegas, but it actually starts on the East Coast, right after 9-11.
1: Wait, that doesn't sound so fun.
0: Yeah, well, I promise it's going to get into all sorts of weirdness.
1: But Trevor ends up picking up the story and being kind of awesome, right? Yeah, I love his narration style. I find
3: it, you know, engaging and easy to listen to, but also kind of fun because he throws in sort of some fun asides about different things. Like at one point when he's like, I promise, like, we're not talking about Chuck's balls just to be gratuitous. There's a reason we're talking about Chuck's balls. And I am like still waiting to find out what that reason is. Yes, um, same. I keep waiting for the balls. Something at the strip club, something with the prostitutes, but you know, think they got I a like ball
2: print off of something like,
3: oh my god, can oh, you I don't dust even for
2: balls, yeah,
3: uh, oh god, oh god, well, we'll find out. Check her nose, uh, oh my goodness, but I do think that Trevor does a good job, so also signposting, like, he'll, he'll, there's be like an interesting little thing. And he'll be like, okay, this, we're going to come back to this, I promise. Um, but he also does a good job in the way that he's setting up different characters in a way that during the introduction or the scene where somebody's talking, you're like, ooh, this might be a little TMI, like that girl Mary, when she's telling this like long,
1: drawn-out story. About the diarrhea and tampons?
3: Yes. However... Every time she comes up again, he goes, you know, Mary from the toilet when they were arresting her. And I'm like, yeah, I do remember her because that story. But I just feel like his style is like he's sitting around with like, you know, a group of friends
1: telling you this story. And I do appreciate the little asides that get put in there. I will say I like about 90 percent of the writing and about 10 percent of it. I hate the two things I hate are the uh, It's one thing to have a vocal tick like I say, you know, I say, you know, I say, like, I repeat a word. I say, all right, here is thing I say all the time. But they're actually writing vocal tics into the scripts like, Kevin, it's, well, you know, kind of gross. Like they're writing that in. But the other thing that I don't like that they write in is when he explains something big in a way that makes no sense Where he's like you know, uh, comparing being a factory worker to being a journalist. And he's like, well, if I were a journalist, and I were working on a story for many months, and I came back and said to my editors, like, there's just nothing here, I would get fired. And I'm like, no, that's actually not how journalism works. You actually wouldn't get fired. That actually means you're a good journalist when you won't just go with something because you've been doing it for many months. But
2: that would never make a podcast with half a story. <laughs> but really? that's,
1: I, I I will say, Toby, I think that you might agree. Like I like literally 90 percent of the writing is so good. The parts of it that are, aren't good kind of stick out to me. What do you think?
4: Yeah. So the one that stuck out to me was there's one point where he said something like, People like mysteries. All these podcasts are mysteries. Blah blah blah. And I think the reason is because mysteries like happen in real life or something. And I was like, yeah, there's a lot of shit that happens in real life. That's that's not why people like mysteries. People like mysteries is because there's a certain amount of suspense in it. You know, blah blah blah. I mean, there's a bunch of reasons. So it just seemed like it's sort of unnecessary thing. Like it didn't really add anything to your understanding of what was going on or or, or whatever. And it just it didn't seem like a very insightful comment i was kind of like why did you even put that in there why didn't somebody just say let's just drop this like this this doesn't make any sense it doesn't doesn't help the story
1: didn't it kind of track with the first five minutes of the podcast though we're like we said this podcast was about this but now it's going to be about this like just say it don't don't just say just do it don't like it's like what a show don't tell right yeah and
4: i thought i think it's the first five minutes where there's sort of it seems like there's kind of a scripted interaction between them. And that was when I was like, Oh God, is this going to be the whole thing? It's going to be like this. Like, Oh, Hey, thanks. <laughs> you know, and then Welcome thankfully to they, <laughs> they they busted out of that. But
1: then it gets good. Like I yeah, literally, yeah, no, it's, it's I absolutely editor, entertaining. I literally would say, cut all of this. Yeah. I would just say, Hey, here's Josh. Here's season two. Our friend Trevor's Our friend Trevor's going to report it. Go.
2: I think they certainly felt the need like uh, Josh Dean is associated so closely with Chameleon that if he's not doing season two, they feel like we have to say something. And that's kind of what they did on those seasons of breakdown when it wasn't Bill Rankin. And Bill would just come on and he'd say, ha, ha. I'm not doing this season. <laughs> but you're like my friend Tom's gonna do it. And that was all that, yeah, that was, Yeah. I'm paraphrasing. I but, feel like
1: we've listened to enough podcasts at this point where that like, in this American life there's a different host all the time. And serial there, but like we've listened to enough podcasts at this point that we don't need that anymore. I don't right. I, mean, I don't want to belabor it. Right.
2: But it was I'm just gonna point out I don't know if there's really much of a chameleon in this story. It's the brand name, it you know, matter. it's fine. You know, it's obvious. I don't care about that. I, it's,
1: Listen, no, I no, I'm just at,
2: pointing out that it's you know every, everything is being positioned now. as so you have like a brand title, right. so you can have multiple seasons with different names, and so the hosts are sometimes part of that brand continuity kind of thing, like uh, fiasco but, or
1: slow burn or whatever.
2: Yeah, and so I, you know, Josh isn't a nobody, so they, you know, at least to come on and acknowledge that this is my show, and someone else is going to be doing it is fine. Well. But maybe not five years. here's the worth. thing: I, so, I get, I get what everybody says. So
1: I work at a place where we made a podcast called Bear Brook, right? Which was about yeah. a very specific case that happened
2: in a very specific, in a place. very specific
1: place. That being said, I'm not going to dump the feed and say we should never put anything out again in this feed that tens of millions of people listen to because the name Hemdus. Like, I just don't think it's that important. Just say, hey, this is season two. Blah, 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 go. Like, if it's a good story, who cares?
4: Didn't Dan Taberski, like, he sort of retrofitted a larger thing. But that was
1: back when before people were doing this. Like, he was the first one who said, hey, I made this thing. It was called this. But now I'm going to make this big brand. And that's going to be part of my brand. You know what I mean? Like, it made sense to me four years ago. I don't know.
4: I guess I can't remember the – and this is horrible because I'm just setting everybody up to say I don't remember either – but is there like a stylistic continuity between the first season of Chameleon and this? Yeah.
1: I mean, they both have a lot of sound effects.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
1: mean, they really are both stories about, you know, it's, it's they're both crime stories about frauds is basically what they're about. And I think that, you know, Chameleon sort of placed itself as this huge new wave of-
2: Who's the Chameleon?
1: Well- Emil. Who cares? Chuck? Well, Chuck. It's the FBI agents. The FBI agents. Chuck's balls? I mean, the FBI agents. Okay, Um, Ernie and Burt. Yeah, but we touched on a thing a second ago, which is the sound effects production. Right. I mean, it's a thing that, I think we all like the story, so let's just put it out there. But we do have to talk about the production. Yeah, because it's the
2: same thing with Hollywood, Chameleon Hollywood Queen. Con Queen. Con Queen, that's it. Yeah, I could do without the overproduction. Like, I'm no longer going to complain about Marvel movies that, oh my God, they've got a lot of sound effects. That's what they are. That's what Wondry is, and apparently Campside media, that's what they want to be. They want to be lush-sounding. They want to let the audio editor do everything all at once. That's fine. The only problem is, for sound effects, if you say, I'm driving, that sound better fucking be you driving and not off of a CD, because that's a distortion. Mm. That, I don't go for.
0: I've been talking to Emil for a long time, but last year, I went to meet him in Las Vegas. I flew overnight, and then the next morning, I drove a rental car to meet him in a recording studio. It's a couple of blocks off the strip. Test one, two, three. If
2: you want to, like, have, you know, the phone rang, and it's very obvious that it's sort of illustrative of a a time, but don't, like, fake the call. Don't fake it.
1: See, I don't have issues with that. I mean, what I have issues with is the illustrative sound, like... There's a whole scene where they were selling cars, and it was Mm -hmm. like someone sold a car. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then there was money. Kaching. It's like it's just it's like I don't know how much the editor. I think I think the editorial leaders of this show are very strong, and I think they are handing over the sound production to someone who's very good at it. But the two sensibilities don't fit together because I almost feel like the reporting sensibility is more on the slow burn uh fiasco leon side, like it's much straighter and then but if you think about slow burn leon Nayfox shows if you added all this stuff it would just be weird mm-hmm. like i feel like we're kind of in that territory and i hate to sort of belabor it because i overall really like this podcast but it seems to me looking at laura and toby's faces like you you and i kevin are not the only ones who uh who heard these things toby you have a squinty face do you think you also heard some of these things
4: yeah, you know, I kind of tune that stuff out and then I also as the host of Strange Arrivals like feel bad about like criticizing somebody
1: Toby, your <laughs> podcast is about UFOs though. It's like a very yeah, I mean it's a it's different a it's a different, different thing. thing. It's supposed <laughs> to like
4: create like a an atmosphere, but
3: um Well, I just listened to total aside. I'd been listening to it like when I'm doing dinner, I'd be like, you know, Alexa, play Strange Arrivals and then I was listening when I was walking for the first time on my earbuds. I
1: was like, Holy shit. What's, I kept yeah. looking over my shoulder when but I was walking. Strange Arrivals <laughs> positions itself as right. a stereophonic podcast. They yeah. literally tell you, put both sound. headphones on. Like, they, that's, that's how it's brand positioned. So to me, like, yeah, like, let's fucking do it. If it's going to be stereophonic, let's do it. But I don't
2: recall a scene where Toby says, and then I went off to London. <laughs> you
1: know, I just... <laughs> Yeah, that would be exciting. And then I called so and so. Boop 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 boop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, not be completed again. <laughs> um,
4: yeah. I guess I don't notice. I don't listen in headphones and stuff. I'm usually like doing other things or driving or whatever, so I don't think it's as uh obtrusive to me. And I just kind of don't notice it as much. Partly because I'm just trying so hard to hear their taped. Wiretap conversations
1: yeah, I mean this is like I feel like we're making a bigger I mean it is I feel like I just want to say like I want to be in the editing room and just be like But anyway, let's just talk about the story Let's go back to the story because the story really is about and I think that Trevor does a good job of this He sort of talks about how FBI guys maybe think their case is going to be made into a movie but that the movie that would be made out of these guys' cases, Chuck and Dennis, isn't one they would want to watch. (laughs) And he has all this tape of them doing these incredibly shitty things. Lara, what do you think of the actual tapes of these actual FBI guys, Chuck and Dennis, but when they're both with informants, not with informants, like, just what do you think of the premise, the behavior, everything they sort of do as part of their, quote, job?
3: Besides the horrific nature of it, I'll I'll start with, you know, whenever I watch something or I listen to something that deals with like undercover police and what they have to do to be believable as undercover, either drug dealers or organized crime or whatever they're going undercover for. I mean, I know everybody's like, oh, do they actually do the drugs? Do they actually do this? How do they convince people? And I think in this case, when you hear these tapes, It's like the extreme version of what you might imagine an undercover officer having to do to be believable and to build that cover. But it's like, I think the part that horrified me the most is that even when they're not with the people that they're portraying this persona to, they are still acting like a bunch of sexed up thugs for crying out loud. Yes. And so it's like, is this who they really were all along? Did this come out because they didn't have enough checks and balances and they have this like, I don't know, FBI black card so they can just like, ooh, lap dances for everybody. I mean, I, I don't know. But especially that one scene, which is pretty gross when and then then, of course, Trevor acknowledged it was gross with like the lap dance and he's like, ride it, baby, or sit on it or whatever. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God. And everybody else had left at that point. Yeah, there's no reason for that.
4: It's method acting.
3: Yeah, Yeah. so I guess my thing is, how many episodes are we in? Six episodes? I may have Googled because I couldn't take it anymore, but I'm like, I'm hoping with the podcast that soon we're going to get to what is going to happen as a system of checks and balances with Chuck and Dennis because I can't fucking take them
1: anymore. I hate them. You know what it made me think about? So I go on work trips for my day job and I go on work trips for our podcast. I do the Mm. same, both kinds of work trips. When I go on work trips for my day job, I'm very conscious of like, Okay, I have to have the cheapest lunch possible. If I get a coffee in the airport, like that's on my dime, not my like employer's dime. When I go on work for trips for this podcast, that's just my like personal tax shit. I'm like, let's do whatever. Like,
2: <laughs> there isn't a check Rebecca is afraid to pick up. <laughs>
1: right. That being said, Toby, like, I am not even in my own business a government. Law enforcement official. To me, there's a whole thing that could just be made about that, about the way that expenses are used, about the way that investigations are used to cover up vices, right?
4: Yeah, they make that interesting point. And, and you were talking about how it doesn't really apply to journalism, but that, you know, if you're going to spend a lot of time and money, there needs to be some kind of result. Or else, it reflects badly on you. I would imagine that having hundreds of lap dances probably only ups the ante on that uh, mm. to produce They're some pot results.
1: Committed, as they say in poker parlance.
4: Yeah. So, so, first of all, I can't quite wrap my head around getting a bunch of lap dances is necessary to establish your credibility as a money launderer. Like that doesn't quite. I don't connect those dots. Uh, it does
1: doesn't. They just yeah. wanted to have fun at work. That's it. Yeah. They right. to have fun at work. Exactly,
4: yeah. But the second thing, and, and there's a great book by Jess Walter called um, The Secret Lives of the Poets, I think, that has this as a little bit of a, of a side plot, but it's how can you justify the work that you're doing and the investigation that you're doing? And in that way, this reminded me, and I actually did something I never do, which is looked at the notes before we started this. And I think Kevin may be remembering... More accurately, this thing I thought I remembered from This American Life about some FBI agents who basically set up, like right after 9-11, they set up a Muslim guy who I thought it was in Boston, trying to set him up as an arms dealer. But it was kind of the same thing where this guy wasn't trying to do anything illegal until these FBI guys got him. Yeah. And then they kind of talked him into- It's
1: entrapment. Like
4: yeah. we want to get guns. And this guy was just like desperately trying to keep these guys happy- in like the most amateurish possible way. But in the end, he was just providing them with all this evidence that it ended up getting them put away. So I think there is this weird thing about, you know, creating criminals and, you know, sort of justifying it after the fact. It's like, well, they clearly had the potential to do this. Like the intent was there. We just kind of gave them the opportunity to show it, but it would have happened sooner or later. And I think that's that's kind of a dubious way of going about law enforcement, I think. Yeah,
1: it's called entrapment. You give them the kindling and then say they started the fire. And Kevin, yeah. you were actually talking about a different thing that we actually reviewed on this podcast, Did we? Right? It was a, I I remember, we did. I
2: remember there was a documentary film that we saw, and it was it took place in New Jersey. But the it certainly the York. plot line yeah. is the same, where the uh, FBI informant was pushing uh, the agents on uh, some non-radicalized Muslims living in New Jersey and I think it was New convincing. York them to okay in the tri-state area uh to uh get uh yeah thanks toby uh to-
1: you say new york city right in your notes know, my motherfucker yeah well, york, i remember it now it's actually it's the bronx i actually <laughs> okay. looked it up so it's new okay. york
2: great well okay fine so maybe you want to talk about it's not
1: important but like just go ahead
2: it reminds me more about, about that this american life story called uh, 21 chump street Where it was about the high school kid who fell in love with the undercover narc. Ah. And she wanted him to buy marijuana. He didn't know he had to go to a cousin or something and got her the marijuana because she wanted it and then got arrested. And then what happened later, it was such a good show that uh, they commissioned Lynn Manuel Miranda to write a mini musical about it for a live show. And it's like, what I got to do to be with you? (laughs) Pretty good. That turned out to be Hamilton. Uh, I (laughs) don't. It did not turn. It
1: was out probably to be better Hamilton. than it was Hamilton. Before Hamilton, though, yeah. <laughs> but there is this whole like the theme is entrapment, right? Because we did review that documentary yeah. about the FBI basically turning that like very innocent Muslim guy into a quote unquote terrorist by basically pushing him into this plot. We've we've seen this over and over and over again.
2: Well, I'll tell you what Trevor does great about this is that he does signpost a lot of this stuff where he says. And maybe it's editorializing a little bit, but I'm, I'm glad that he does it. Where He says, this doesn't sound like somebody who knows how to ma- launder money. Right. But oh, no, I go, well, I just, I need a couple of days for it to clear. So then I can, you know, that isn't how money laundering works. These people were obviously not money laundering before these agents came in and started throwing money down and asking them to do that. So I don't know. I'm just going to ask Laura if she Googled to the end here where if they I, get everybody for doing the right wait, thing. Wait, can
1: I just ask a question too? Is this is a Laura question too. Yeah. I have one question about Emile, Lara, and I've been thinking about you. Oh, no. So Emile is sort of framed as this— Is that because I have Botox? No, I'm just kidding. I don't. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's because Emile is sort of the central source of the story, right? And I think that Trevor paints him as like a quasi-bullshitter, but also, you know, he's sort of the center of it. Why did Michelle— Like, after he was arrested for other shit, go to the FBI proactively and say, Emil is a bad guy who's willing to launder money. And then the FBI allegedly entraps Emil to laundering money. Like, what is going on with Emil where Michelle actually knows Emil could be a target? Like, that was my big question that I had here. Like... I'm, I, I don't feel think like, we got that but yet. But I feel yeah. like the Emil story is not fully fleshed out, and that's what I was wondering. Laura, did you Google that? <laughs>
3: no, I didn't Google that. You know, And then that guy Paul, the um, attorney on the billboards in Vegas, who's like, I fucked your woman, and she Paul liked it. Mata, that, yeah. That yeah. guy, you know, and his role in, in perhaps moving this forward. But no, basically, um, spoiler, since we're in the spoiler zone here, the FBI ended up having to drop charges against everybody in this. So... Good, thank God. But I still don't know what happened to Chuck and Dennis, so I'm or hoping... or his balls, or why his balls are relevant. His balls mean, that's a big it's question. Not things I want to know, and and now that we've we've been teased about the balls, I kind of want an answer.
2: Yeah, you don't want to tease the balls. I'm just without, saying, <laughs> without fulfilling on that promise. Can I just
1: say, like a writing tip? I would not sign post that the balls are important. I would have just left it in and not say apologizing for big. Ret- leave it in and then have us return to it later for no reason. A ball callback? Yes. A ball back? A ball back. Because now I'm waiting for it in a way that I wouldn't have been waiting for if you hadn't signed. I'm just saying... Just let us have the balls. There's no apologies there. Diarrhea, tampons, balls, like bring it all. There's a lot going on. (laughs) riders
2: threesomes, counting machines.
1: (laughs) All right. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Chameleon High Rollers? It is the second season of the podcast Chameleon. The first season was Hollywood Con Queen. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for season two of Chameleon from Campside Media? I'm going to go
3: thumbs up with this. I mean, there's some things I would have done differently, but overall, I think the story itself is really interesting. It's something that we haven't heard before. It's also rage walk inducing. If you listen to what the FBI agents in this case are doing and you listen to basically My takeaway: somebody being set up for something that they were not actually criminally involved with. So, if you need some rage walking material, I would definitely say listen to this. And it's a good simmer, so you're going to get a good burn with your walk because it goes on and on and on. I'm eager to see how it.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, I'm eager to see how it ends, and I hope that it ends in the way that it should end. Or else, I'm going to have to take some people down on my pink scooter. But I'm just saying, I think you should listen to it. Toby Ball, thumbs
1: up or thumbs down for Chameleon High Rollers.
4: Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of fun. Nobody's getting murdered, which is nice. And uh, it's very atmospheric. It reads, it doesn't read, it, it listens like a, a caper novel to a certain extent. Uh, some big characters, good atmospherics. You know, the FBI guys are kind of reprehensible, but in a sort of an interesting way. So anyway, uh, thumbs up. I think this is, you know, this is just a fun binge if you're going on a long car ride or something, keep you entertained.
2: Kevin Flynn. I'm also a thumbs up. I don't know if I care as much for Emil as I do about the case in general mm. and about certainly about the, uh, the FBI agents and what they've been up to. Uh, so I think other than my criticism about like episode one, you know, didn't really hold my attention. It doesn't start until episode two. I think that it's still a really fun podcast and, you know, you got to have a great story. A lot of people, you know, uh, Trevor, you know, make some comment trying to make a point about sometimes cops and also podcasters spend months and months looking at a possible uh, subject and there ain't no there there. And sometimes cops and podcasters push ahead anyway. And so in this case, there is some there there. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm glad they stuck with it. Thumbs up.
1: Yeah, I like the podcast, too. Thumbs up. Um, Dial back the production let someone listen to some of the writing because I think that some of it is pretending like the person listening to it has never heard a podcast before and I don't think that's necessary. Uh, that being said, you know, trimming all that stuff back, I would just pare back the production of this whole franchise, make it a little bit more slow burn-esque and you will have something that I have no criticism about because the story's great, it's well structured, it's well told, our hosts here are great. So yeah, thumbs up for me for Chameleon High Rollers. So, Kevin, here we are in the business section. What have we got going on on our Patreon this week? What's happening in the Crime Writers on After Show?
2: Oh, there's a lot going on, even though we're going to be off next week. There's still plenty of stuff to listen to on Patreon. This week's Crime Writers on After Show... We're talking about the latest legal developments in the Tiger King case. Whoa! That the sentence for Joe Exotic has been vacated.
1: Team Carol, what else, Wait, Kevin? What?
2: The sentence has been vacated, but the conviction stands. We'll talk. Tell you more about like what's been happening. There. Team
1: Carol, go ahead, Kevin. Uh, I'll
2: leave it to Bricker. Laura tells the fascinating story about how her grandmother nearly took out an entire gang of Hell's Angels.
1: <laughs> of course, she did.
2: Because why
1: the fuck not? Yeah, Laura, is this the same grandmother that you inherited the timeshare from, that we were able to avail ourselves of a few years ago? That's her, yeah. Yeah, That's the same one. I love her. She's the golden
3: girl. Grammy Gladys, yeah, and she almost took the Hells Angels out, so. <laughs> <laughs> love it.
2: Yeah, it's true. Now we got, a, we got a double dip of Deep Dive. Right now in the feed is Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. It's talking about the golden thread with uh, Chris Joyner from the uh, AGC. And uh, Toby, uh, this week you have another taping of The Deep Dive for an upcoming episode. What book are you covering and who are you talking to? We are covering uh, Last Call by Elon
4: Green, which is about a series of murders tied to New York City in the 1980s of of gay men. And uh, the fabulous star-studded lineup is myself and Sarah D. Bunting
2: Rebecca Sebastian and Janet Farney.
1: Oh, my God. That is a superstar fucking that panel. That sounds fun. That podcast
2: episode will be out in August, but if you are a Crime Writers on Nation sponsor, if you're at that level, you can uh, watch the live podcast. You can also take part by submitting your chat questions or coming on the screen and offering your own thoughts. And Toby, that is recording on the 29th. Is that Thursday. correct? Thursday.
4: The 29th at 8 o'clock Eastern
2: Time.
1: 29th of July. Toby, what are you going to do if Elon Green shows up and starts asking questions about his own book?
4: Is he just starts heckling me in the, in the uh, comments?
1: Because <laughs> I happen to know that he does listen to our podcast. I think he
2: is also right. a patron on Patreon. But Toby, I do not think he is at the $25 level. But
1: I so. also think, by the way, he's cool enough that if you don't like his book, he can take it. I really I think he can take it. I don't think we
2: have to worry about
4: that. He's also a very good and engaging writer.
2: And lastly, Joan
1: Didion is also a patron, by the way. No, I'm just kidding.
2: (laughs) And also later this week, we're going to have a new episode of Married with Podcast Out. And Rebecca, we have a question about a toxic mother-in-law.
1: I cannot wait. When are we taping that, by the way? tomorrow
2: we're going to be taping it soon before okay. we go on vacation we preload it and <laughs> it's
1: like later tonight
2: <laughs> that's right we got i can't wait we got it just like we put all of our little pills in each day's little container Yes. yeah we got to put a I have stuff. this
1: whole thing so we're going on vacation as we tape this 2 days from now like actually like a day and a half from now and my whole this is the 1 week of the whole year where I will not engage with my laptop or slack or anything oh, wow. have it's like 1 week out of 52 so the last 3 days before it are like a power like a marathon of just taping and editing. I'm so excited. Anyway, that Murder With Podcast is going to be intense and super good.
2: I also encourage everybody to sign up for the Crime Writers on newsletter. Just go to crimewriterson.com, just drop in your email address. Monday is when the show drops. You'll also get an email. I'll tell you in this week's newsletter, we're going to tell you only there. It's going to be top secret. It's the only place you can read about where the crime writers are all going to dinner together with a special guest star.
1: Will there be a photo?
2: I, well, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because you wrote it before. Because I already had it. wrote
2: it. Yeah, yeah, I had to write it ahead of time. So, yeah. uh, but I'll delete it later. If it
1: Are you going to pretend works. the f- the dinner was awesome even if it sucks? Is that the plan?
2: I already know I'm ordering the meatloaf. So <laughs> I said oh the meatloaf God. is great.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All I like right, like the Kevin. scallops. Scallops look good, though, yeah. At least we know like, one of the nine of us won't be drinking, right? So before we end the business section, Kevin, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week?
2: Our Patreon patron saints are Holly Stevens and Tim Noonan.
1: Bless you. Bless you. Kevin, does that end the business section for this podcast? It does. All right, I'm going to fade that music out now. Moving on. Here I am. 22 years old, being whisked away with the man I love for $3 million. The new Netflix six-part series Heist dedicates two episodes each to three colorful crimes perpetrated by somewhat ordinary people. They include Heather Tallchief, who was convinced by her ex-con boyfriend to work as an armored car driver in Las Vegas so they could clean out the truck and live on an island. That moment of no return is standing there with your britches down trying to put on a costume meanwhile a man convicted of murder is in possession of three million dollars in a loaded fire in a fucking closed garage another tells the tale of roller skating cuban-american carls monzone who sought money to adopt a child and convinced his friends and family to help him boost millions in cash from a lightly guarded Miami airport counting house. I come to you and I tell you yeah there's a hundred million dollars don't worry there's no
2: guns nothing there it's, it's, it's a piece of pie hundred million dollars no guns at an airport they're surrounded by, by all these different agencies yeah I'm definitely gonna go with my guns
1: the final story is about Toby Kurtzinger, a Kentucky distillery worker who, along with his softball buddies, stole for well-heeled buyers an ever-growing amount of premium whiskey, including the exceedingly rare and extremely expensive Pappy Van Winkle bourbon.
0: It was like this stuff. It was this sacred nectar from Mount
4: Olympus that they had at Buffalo Trace, and everybody wanted it. And then what happened? I got dropped right into it, and there it went boom.
1: Employing stylized recreations and interviews with the amateur perpetrators, Heist explores the thrill, the dangers, and the fun behind each caper. It dares us to root for the robbers even when the law catches up to them. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Heist, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. And also, uh, a little bit of transparency, I did interview each of the three directors who did the two episodes each of each of these stories for the Netflix podcast, You Can't Make This Up. That being said, I promise you for my review, my opinion is untainted about this show. Now, Toby, one of the things that is interesting to me about this series is I feel like the three crimes that are shown are relatively victimless. In terms of the fact that nobody was murdered, that money stolen was perhaps from people who had lots of money or was a product, and I think except for
2: Jeffrey, but all right. But
1: I but but, but I do no. think but I do think that the series sort of tempts us into wouldn't you if you had the chance do X. And that's a little bit of a moral conundrum. Do you think that that works? No. And, and I'll tell you
4: I think it kind of lands with a thud quite honestly that that framing and part of it is that at the very end of the last episode you have the other toby kind of he he reflects on what he's put his family through and you know gets kind of teary and feels really bad about it and then he's like well you know if you had all this you know if it was right there and all you had to do is stick it under your jacket and walk out wouldn't you do it with the implication being that yeah of course you would i'm like dude like Two minutes ago, you were literally crying, mm. talking about your regrets of having done it. So yeah. it, it just doesn't, you know, I, I think that's a fun way of framing this stuff, but it doesn't really work out very well for anybody. Like nobody in this ends up in a good place. Like you got one woman who's too afraid to show her face because she's worried that her boyfriend would would find her and kill her. You've got these other guys who spent all this time in jail, one of whom had a this freaking screwdriver stuck in his ear, <laughs> and uh, and then you've got the other Toby, you know, crying, and his the other you know,
3: Toby. His, That's the, gonna his be his wife, name forever.
4: His wife, you know, is pissed at him, and his kids weep when they talk about him. And you know, he doesn't have any friends from his softball team around. They no, won't even. The
2: oh,
3: well, all those guys I were to dicks. join, like bocce ball next or something.
1: I will say the sort of toxic masculinity of the bourbon episodes. I loved it. I mean, yes. I really did like Laura, the whole thing where like this, okay, I know we're skipping ahead cause it was like the third part of the series, but this dude who loved softball so much that his wife was like, you got to fucking quit the softball. Mm-hmm. And the alternative to the softball was being like a bourbon crime Lord, although not really just like stealing a bunch of shit. Like, I I mean, there's a lot of, like, toxic masculinity that was also kind of extremely relatable with that story. What did you think about that?
3: I mean, we all know somebody... I think, in our circle, who's got a husband that like, not you, Kevin, not you. <laughs> there's
1: only two
4: people in our circle who can fit this description.
1: My, my, my professional baseball umpire no, husband. But, <laughs> no,
3: no, no. But I, I'm going to say like, I have some friends from college who have husbands that are in these like softball leagues and all this. And I'm like, and it like takes over their life. And I'm like, really? Like, it's like it becomes so I I, I could relate to that part of it. But then the flip side of just the brazenness with which they all, not just the other Toby, but everybody who seems to work in a bourbon factory is like, "Oh, it's like one of the perks of the job. You just like take a few bottles when you go and when you go to someone's yeah. house. They're like, "Hey, look, I brought you a present." Like uh no big, there's so- a
2: difference between taking a bottle and an entire barrel.
3: Well, or, like, loading you know. a truck in the middle of the night. Who needs a
2: fucking barrel of whiskey? It. Oh, really? My God. <laughs> it's one thing if you take copier paper home from the office. Guilty. It's another if you take the copier. Yeah. And it's kind of like it was grand larceny. It was a lot of stuff they were taking. Yeah, I took anyway.
1: copier paper from my office, but I did not take any microphones from my radio station. That's true. But, I, but I did think, I mean, one quick question I have about that story, second, Laura, before we move on is the wife kurt's wife yeah she fucking knew what was going on right like i mean it reminded me of like skylar white and breaking bad like yeah. all of a sudden like he worked at a distillery doing like a work a day job she was a beginning realtor and suddenly they had like all of this money and then we're supposed to believe that she did like like that was weird right Yeah, I think she was um,
3: conveniently ignoring what was happening around her because it was happy. I mean, God, I mean, you saw those videos of their kids at Christmas with like this and that and a Jeep and a trailer and a... You know, light up this and that, and here we are at Disney World and everything else. So, I, I can say, you know, may, you know, as times are good, you're kind of just like, hey, I'm not going to ask any questions. But she was obviously not a stupid woman; like, she clearly knew something was going on. But I guess, uh, based on her, I mean, she did an Alfred plea in court, so obviously she's not going to. I would say, for the purpose of this documentary, she's not going to be super forthcoming about what she did or didn't know. Based, You know, at this point
1: now, one of the questions I have about that story, Toby, is that it's another example of like the media turning a story into a different thing than it actually was. So I remember seeing the stories about this and it was like this. The conceit was there was this giant heist where like one person potentially stole like a half million dollars worth of Pappy Van Winkle. But what became clear to me was it was just a bunch of small-time dudes who worked at factories who were just, like, stealing a little here and there, and some of them did more than others. But it got turned into, like, a global crime. I mean, did you see that, too? Yeah, you know, I I still
4: can't quite wrap my head around the fact that the— Inventory control was so shitty that this thing was going on for all this time and
1: You never work retail obviously toby
4: (laughs) well, I, I I have worked retail and uh But I mean if you're like eight kegs of whiskey lighter than you were the day before Like wouldn't you at least like put up cameras by the loading dock or something? I mean it just that whole thing Just seemed weird But I like the third one the best. And I think part of it was, is that it kind of painted a picture of this culture in which petty crime is not really considered that bad. Like that's just kind of the culture. And you can see it from the police chief, not the sheriff, but the police chief is kind of like, was it the worst thing in the world? I mean, did he really, did we have to escalate it to the point where he went to jail? It's like, no, you know, this is kind of the way things go. And this sheriff came from kind of out of town and kind of made this into a, a bigger deal than I think the people in town would have made it. Doesn't make it right, but I thought that was what was interesting about that was sort of the the
2: look at the culture.
1: Yeah. And of course, uh, there's a twist there, Kevin, where the guy they gave immunity to was actually probably the guy stealing the most of the pappy, right?
2: Well, apparently he was. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes.
1: So I want to talk about the first story because I'm looking at Toby's notes and apparently like I liked it way more than him. I'm just going to say it up front. There is a huge twist in the first story, right? Where we get this very interesting story about this young woman who becomes basically a cult of one with this, like, horrible guy who's very dynamic, who was released from prison because all these famous people got him released. Turns out he's actually still wants to be a thief. He pulls her into his ring, and she seems very much, like, under his spell. And she's very young, and she tells the whole story from this very sort of gritty, it's a love-fucking-story sort of point of view We get the whole thing about they went on the run. She had to start a whole new life. She separated from him, but she still lives in secret. At the very end of the story, by the way, if you have not seen it, this is the part where you want to fast forward to the time code. We find out that the woman we've been seeing telling the story is an actress recreating the transcript of the interview that the documentarians did. I will say I asked about this in the interview with the director. They w- did not know that was going to happen. They d- inter- they thought they were going to use the original interview, and then they couldn't. So they, they did that then. I actually loved it <laughs> that they did that. What did you think about that?
2: It was very surprising, and I was pleasantly surprised because I thought the actress did a great thing. I wouldn't say this is the twist of the thing. No,
1: but it, w- it felt like a punch at the end. It,
2: yeah, I mean, because we, it's the kind of thing that we look at. I thought that she, she was so believable. She's
1: fucking great
2: in part because if she's doing the recreation, they also have a younger actress doing the recreation of the recreation, <laughs> yeah. right? And it gets super meta. And even like the you know the uh, like the still photos that they use for B roll, it's usually like oh it's the actual people. So it, it, they did still photos of them, but they're the real
1: still photos of the real people. Kind of mixed, it was in. very mixed up, yeah.
2: But I would say that I really like that it was sexy. And we don't watch a lot of stuff that's sexy in this genre. I mean, we didn't see a lot of titties in uh, Making a Murderer, thank God. There are titties (laughs) in this. There's but there was thrust sex. <laughs> it, was like, it was called sex magic, which is just sex. Just oh, sex. I forgot about which, that
3: part where he was worshipping the women in his yeah, little shrine. Yeah,
1: but like, Laura, it wasn't when she calls, it was sex magic, like, it was just sex, right? It was <laughs> it a ploy magic. to get more sex. Where, where does
3: that energy go? Yeah.
2: <laughs> it goes, well, if you I don't have I not he's ask, tired, he took a nap. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that that was really great, and I think sort of, this, even though you have three different directors... Who could bring sort of three completely different styles. I'm thinking a little bit like when we did The Innocence Files. Yeah. Which was seven episodes about different people and different things like that. They were all very kind of stylistically different. They are different, but they have very sort of similar attitudes and... Giant uh, fonts. Giant fonts and kind of a cheekiness about it that's clever uh, it makes it fun. You know, you can always do that when nobody gets killed. Somebody just might get, you know, a screwdriver in the ear or some, you know. We'll talk
1: about that. You know, oh, the, God.
2: Just a little bit of that. Can't say you didn't have it coming. The fuck, Jeffrey? <laughs>
1: Jeffrey's Chillin a at the
2: freaking
3: titty bars. moron. More sh- titties. Never,
1: and they knew they shouldn't have invited Jeffrey. Right. They, they knew. Let's they just know. go there. So the sec- <laughs> So the second story is about this heist at an airport where there's a bunch of Fucking millions of dollars of unguarded money for no reason.
2: Anybody know where that money's coming from? And <laughs> a why, German it's bank. Going, it's
1: coming from Deutsche Bank or whatever. Deutsche Bank. Yeah. So like literally it's just like the hanger for and this is a very another very similar It's going thing. straight to
4: Donald Trump's uh
1: It's 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 not dissimilar <laughs> it's six, to the Burpens thing. Broadway where it's, like, or whatever. it's like this is just Available. Like, do you guys want to come and get it? And you know, this guy allegedly had a motivation for doing so. He was this big alleged teddy bear of a guy who was a really fucking good roller skater, by the way. I have a story about that that I'll tell you guys later. But in that heist, there was one dude involved in the conspiracy who just could not follow the rules of like, do not spend this goddamn money. But that didn't just devolve into like threatening him, it devolved into legit kidnapping, torture and attempted murder like that one got fucking dark. Right, Laura? Yeah, that kind of went off the rails because, you know, what you were talking
3: about before where, you know, we're setting it up so that it's like, would I do this if I was in their situation? I didn't view it so much like that. I viewed it like I could understand actually pretty effectively how these people got sucked into committing these various crimes, these various heists. So in this case, it was the guy who wanted the baby and his wife was having a miscarriage and they wanted to adopt and it was expensive. And, and I felt like I I believed that. But then he turned out to be a crazy man who ordered this like kidnapping of Jeffrey, the idiot who kept going to the strip clubs and just throwing money everywhere. And Jeffrey was there like, stop doing it. He won't do it. But The visuals, I didn't need the visuals of like the screwdriver going in Jeffrey's head, (laughs) like they're pulling out his fingernails. Now they're calling that I don't remember the adoption guy's name, the adoption guys like mother-in-law and grandmother-in-law are calling him save Jeffrey, save
1: Jeffrey. I'm like, oh, this is just this is going to end right now, you know? Am I the only person who thought the adoption was actually a baby buying scheme? Like 50 grand, we'll be able to adopt somebody tomorrow. Like, that's a little weird.
2: (laughs) Maybe. Um, So, Toby,
1: I want to ask you about that two episodes because I found myself, a lot of times with some Netflix series we've talked about, you watch one episode of a multi-part thing and you're like, okay, the story's over. What could possibly happen next? In that two-part story, the first episode, you're like, meh. The second episode is bananas. Like, right?
4: Yes. (laughs) <laughs> no I thought the first two little two episode couplets or whatever were pretty uneven and with this one the first the first episode spends a more time than I would have spent on this guy Carl's his family and his girlfriend and they having a hard time having a baby and this that and the other thing and it's I was like oh my god how much longer is this gonna go And then the second half is like, you kind of wish that that had taken an hour and a half and the first part they'd done in like 15 minutes. Yeah. Because it is. It's just, it's these people just start acting like maniacs.
1: Does the money make them act like maniacs or were they maniacs before? What do you think?
4: Well, the thing is, I kind of feel like it was kind of an inverse, like the people who were experienced criminals didn't act like maniacs. They acted smart. And then the people who weren't like experienced criminals acted like maniacs, I imagine is a combination of having a bunch of money and being totally stressed out because you're not used to like worrying about the cops, but the sort of experienced criminals. So they got in on this, like the father-in-law, like basically goes on the lam for a while. I love Pinky. Yeah. Well, I kind of did, except that I'm sure that he's had people killed. And I mean, he comes across as this lovable teddy bear, but he's like, he's a gangster. And uh like people used to roll up to his house and he'd sell them whatever they wanted drugs, women, you know, refrigerators, whatever. And uh but yeah, can you exactly.
1: roller skate?
4: <laughs> no, he's not a good roller skater. And then, you know, the other guy, there's that one guy, and I don't remember what their names are, but uh the guy who got procured them the stolen car, mm-hmm. and he was just like, I didn't want to deal with Carls. Like I was a fucking idiot. And then he's like, Well, and finally they're like, I'll give you a million dollars. And I was like, All right. Um <laughs> so i mean i think carls goes berserk like he's having this guy beat up and kidnapped and all these things in an attempt to keep him quiet and it just makes things a hundred times worse and this guy isn't smart enough or is too drugged up or whatever to kind of like take the
2: hint
1: yeah let's talk about carls for a second kevin i think he's actually a very interesting character
2: he's got mad skills roller skating
1: side note that was a thing that one of the interview the director who was interviewing him found out during the interviews and was like Can we get you to do that on film? And that became sort of like the framing device. But Did he not speak any English, or
2: was he just more comfortable? No,
1: he was more comfortable speaking Spanish. But there was one thing that, like, Carl's was frustrated, the real-life Carl's, that he couldn't do one particular skill on the roller skates, that it was this fast spin. Mm. So all the roller skating you see is Carl's. But apparently the director told me the fast spin, they had to put out an ad in the Miami Trades for a body double who weighed like 280 pounds, mm-hmm. who can do a fast spin on roller skates, and they found one. <laughs> and there
2: he is. I
1: find that sort of making of it stuff very interesting. fake.
4: It's a deep. How can we believe anything else we saw in that Well, yeah. that's...
1: I honestly like... I, I don't know. I don't know about you. I, I, I know, Toby, you and I disagree, so I actually like it for that reason. I think it's very on its face. But Carl's...
2: Was he having sex magic?
1: We learn... Learned how to be a criminal. Literally from watching tv hey just like us
2: that's (laughs) how we learn how to be crime writers
1: (laughs) but like he needed money for this adoption which may have been a baby buying scheme that's just my opinion not in the documentary but he learned how to avoid detection by watching tv shows about how to avoid detection that was pretty funny
2: it is but it's it's really not uncommon i mean that's how do you know that there's going to be uh, a die pack in the middle of the bag of money? Because you've seen it on TV or in a movie or whatever. So, it's yeah, so, okay, don't leave any fingerprints. Don't leave any DNA. Okay, that's a smart thing to do. There yeah, you go. I yeah. don't know like whether he actually sat down with a pad and paper like the, they did in the recreation. But
1: There are two themes. There's a lot of
2: pads and papers in this series. By yeah, way. a lot of writing well, stuff down.
1: There are two themes that carry through all three of these stories. Theme one, money is heavy
2: money is heavy. Yeah.
1: Laura, <laughs> would Lara, would you, Whiskey's heavy too, would you yeah. know that if you stole a bunch of money that maybe it's not as light as you think it is, it's actually heavy? Yeah. Well,
3: especially, I mean, I think the scene that really drove that home to me was in the first episode where, you know, we see them put the money in the back of the car and then they get to the hotel room and they try to put it in the bags and they're like lugging these suitcases along. And I'm like, Uh, yeah, that's not going to work. So although I did think it was pretty inventive that they mailed the money. I mean, yes, that was like, you know, like I've thought of doing that on vacation. Like, oh, there's stuff I don't want to bring. Maybe I should mail it to myself. I mean, that was that was good thinking.
1: I have done that on vacation. It's a very good trick. Yeah, Toby, the second theme that happens in all three of these stories is at the very end, there's ill gotten gains that have not been accounted for. I think in the Carl's story, it's very fucking clear that all those guys are lying. Where's the money? I don't know. I spent it. Life on the run is expensive. They are all fucking lying. In Heather Tallchief's story, it's clear that her ex, uh, who's maybe still on the run, maybe still dead, like has a lot of money. Who knows where it is? And the Bourbon story, it's very clear that like Kurt is not the perpetrator of this solely, and there's a lot of stuff out there. So
2: We know who took the Yes, police. but yeah. there's also
1: probably more stuff sure. out yep, there, yep. right? So, Toby, the idea that like the FBI, the police think they got a thing... But there's this quest for this missing fortune. Like, how important is that to know where, like, the missing $4 million is?
4: How important is it to me?
1: Yeah. How important is it to you as a viewer? Because to me, I I do think they try to portray it as cheeky, right? Like, you know what I mean?
4: Yeah. I mean, they definitely do. Like, did they get away with it? Um, I I don't know. I sort of feel like that just seems inevitable to me. Like, how are you going to recover everything? right like people who pull off these kinds of heists like they got to think things through enough where they're not going to like stick all of the money like in the same hole in the same backyard or whatever like you know you're going to spread it around leave it other places give it to people so it's not too surprising to me you know and I I just assume that while it'd be nice to recover it all I, I can't imagine that that's people will feel like they weren't successful if there's still stuff missing. I mean, you you catch the people and you get as much money back as you can, but I think some loss and it just probably just hits the insurance companies.
1: One of the things I keep thinking about is that the director of the Carl's episodes um, said to me, I don't know if it's going to make the, you can't make this up podcast edit or not, but he said like, what's the worst kind of hell? Getting caught for stealing millions of dollars or stealing millions of dollars and never being able to, touch it or spend it or anything because those guys are all being followed like constantly because the FBI is apparently obsessed with recovering that money. Mm-hmm. Especially I don't
2: know. now. Can I ask one question? Sure. Did anyone feel, I mean, obviously the, we did hear from the investigators on the three stories, but it was very light except for sort of the political stuff with that sheriff and the Pappygate. But anyway, did we feel like we lost anything by not hearing from that side? I personally was satisfied of getting more of the... Con artists, the heist we had point cop, of have perspective. Had some cops. We had some. Do we not have enough or do we have just enough? I think it was just enough. It it was light, but just enough.
3: Yeah, it was light. And honestly, like one of the things that I was saying as we were watching this, like Ken and I were watching this is like the way that the people involved with the various heists were telling the story was like the type of storytelling you would hear if you were all sitting around at a party somewhere and they'd had a few cocktails and they're like, yeah, and that was fucking bullshit. Like and then they had some pappy. Yeah, they had a little pappy before. But, you know, it was like, you know, the way that they would tell a story and and not to diminish uh, you know you know make light of like crime but you know they're heist crimes so they're kind of fun to me so it was kind of like a good telling of the story and i don't feel like we needed the police as much for that because we knew how the case is resolved yeah
4: you know i i think it's fine not to have it i thought in the tall chief episode there's this one time where they they're like here's this guy his nickname is like mad dog or pit bull or, or something because and they're like why because he's like a mad dog and when he gets his teeth in the air he doesn't let go but he did not actually do, solve that case and he doesn't do anything
1: yes it's like
4: yeah well you know we talked to some people we couldn't find anything and and that's about it it's like 10 years later she turned herself in I thought it was going to be like some kind of like cat and mouse game. Yeah. But in
2: fact, like, he's just nope. like, oh, she got we tried. away with it
1: until she decided not to. I don't I, care
2: about the cat. The mouse was really interesting.
1: I got to tell you, like, I did love that the cops weren't as important as I did. Yeah. I feel like so many things are cop driven. And it's like, I'm not saying well, I'm rooting exactly, for them, yeah. I'm not rooting for the robbers, but all of these in cops this case, failed. In case you kind of are, all the cops failed. And it's like, except in the bourbon thing, they succeeded sort of a little. But like they all failed, right?
2: No, they succeeded in all the cases.
1: Barely. I mean, the guys. The Carl's guys, was Carl's. He's still fucking hiding two million dollars somewhere uh, in the ground. They did right, not fucking right. succeed in that case. All right. The only win.
4: person, the only person I found sympathetic was Heather Tallchief. Me too. All the other people, even if there were moments where I was like, "Oh, you know, that's tough on that guy. I hope he, I hope he makes it." Carl's is he's a psychopath, and then um. The other Toby.
1: Kurt. Like, <laughs> the other if you, Toby. If you, <laughs> the other if you, Toby.
4: <laughs> if you actually had to deal with that guy in like your daily life, He's be like, a dick. He's a good God.
3: softball player. He
4: does steroids and, you He's know, a
1: dick he, likes he gets like a dicks.
4: barrel of whiskey and like takes a chunk out of it. And then people are drinking from red plastic cups of
1: whiskey. <laughs> but Heather had a horrible childhood. No, and she's Heather actually was still 100%. a hundred percent. She's a hundred percent a victim. I agree with you completely. Like plus, sexy. Plus, plus the, she, you, it was an
4: actress who made her probably even more sympathetic.
1: But Kurt. Big piece of shit. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check? Let's out- see
2: Kurt's titties.
1: <laughs> Should they check? Because out- you know he's got them. That was not Heather's titties. His that was his I know
2: Heather's Yeah, said. I'll just put it All
1: out right. there. Let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Heist on Netflix? It is a six-part series about three different heists. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Heist?
3: Yeah, I really enjoyed this. Um, to me, it kind of had like that Legend of Cocaine Island sort of vibe to it in that we had people doing some of their own reenactments, or maybe we didn't, but... it felt like that. You know, we had the roller skating guy. We had a lot of fun stuff going on. They're crimes where, you know, we don't have people getting murdered necessarily. I mean, we did have a guy get a screwdriver in his ear. But um, aside from that, they're crimes that (laughs) to me, they were kind of fun crimes. And I I liked the setup of this where we had, you know, the first episode for me, I felt like was effective in understanding how the people became involved in the heist. The second episode is how they got caught in the aftermath. And they were all super different. You know, we have everything from this Brinks job. And I always wonder about those people who drive the Brinks trucks, like, what would you do if you had all that money to the bourbon heist, which that really was quite uh, enlightening, also painted a very good picture of Kentucky and sort of the old boys network. So they were short, they were entertaining. And, you know, I think six episodes was a great length for the season. But I would definitely look for a season two if it was the same, because it was just a fun show to watch. Toby Ball.
4: So I'm a little bit surprised that we didn't end up talking more about the whole thing with Heather Tallchief being played by an actress, because I the setup for all three of these is we're going to have the actual people kind of talking in a room in an interview, and then we're going to have extensive recreations with actors who look a little bit like these people And that's going to be the way it goes. It's going to be a lot more recreations than you're used to. They're going to really do this thing, but they're also going to have the actual people telling the story. So that when at the end of the first of these three stories, when you find out that this person that you thought was the one real person in this entire show is actually also an actress and it's sort of let go without much comment, other than how clever is this? We fooled you. To me that kind of changed the way I thought about the whole rest of the thing, which is like, how honestly are they playing with their audience on all this stuff? So that kind of colored my feeling for the whole rest of it. Beyond that, I would say, I thought it was kind of uneven. I thought for the first story, the first episode was good. The second episode kind of dragged for the second story. The first episode kind of dragged the second episode was freaking nuts and then the last one I thought was pretty consistently good through the whole thing. So that basically ends up being, it, it, it's a thumbs up. It's not a huge thumbs up. If you're only going to spend like an hour and a half watching it, I would watch the third one. But it, it's definitely, I mean, all, all, all three of them have their have their moments.
1: Uh, Toby, I'm just kind of curious, because when I first got the screeners for the series, because I was doing the Netflix and they are actually in a different order. Yeah. Would you have felt different about the whole series if the three stories were presented in a different order? You know,
4: at the end, I think I would have felt like if the Tall Chief wanted to come at the end, I feel like I would have felt like I needed to reassess Mm. the first two instead of watching the next two being like, all right, is this really like I'd spent like the whole like Carl's I was like, is this really Carl's or is this just some guy? And like, if it's a guy and they're forcing him to speak Spanish the whole time (laughs) and have subtitles, it's just I'm going to
2: lose my mind.
1: Well, that's not, I I will say that's an interesting observation. Kevin, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Heist?
2: I'm a thumbs up. I thought it was a uh, very fun look at uh, Three Crimes. I didn't have the same concerns that Toby had about that in particular, but I did think that, you know, it gave us permission to sort of dive into their points of view, with the exception of uh, a certain family member of one of the people involved. It was nonviolent, you know, nobody was murdered. And, you know, we're we're finding more enjoyment in true crime in the con man heist genre than we are in the brutal murder side of things. And this is one of the reasons why, because you can also not be afraid to be sympathetic towards the criminal in this mm. case. So I, I really liked it and I'm looking forward to season two of
1: Heist. So one thing I'll say to underscore my big thumbs up for Heist is the thing that we didn't talk about in our conversation, which was the incredible sourcing in all three of these stories it is really easy to imagine a thing like this that's less well made where you have just the bourbon guy and then just like a bunch of b-roll and you know uh graphics that explain what the police thought or what his friends. they have everyone for all three stories they have the cops they have the main person with one notable exception in the first story of somebody who we don't know where he actually is they have everyone i especially think of story two the carl story they have everyone who committed the crime plus the ex who like she's very important to the story i don't know I, i just think that this is um It sort of elevates something that could have been corny to something better than corny, and it's very stylized and surprising. I really enjoyed Heist on Netflix. I would check it out if I were one of our listeners, A thumbs up for me. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime Crime of of the week. Police in Ireland are investigating a high-speed driving report involving a hearse. The vehicle was carrying the coffin of Dean McGuire on his way to his final resting place. But instead of a solemn funeral procession, the Hearst was leading a high-speed convoy of cars and motorcycles down the N7. The parade was honking horns, revving engines, and cheering on the barreling bone wagon. While the Irish are known for their boisterous wakes, this salute may be less about the way McGuire lived and more about the way he died. A well-known burglar, he'd been killed the week before in a high-speed chase from the cops on the N7 when he hit a truck coming the other way. The funeral that preceded the display was equally inappropriate. One priest told the Sunday World that it was, quote, the most disturbing liturgy he was ever at. The offertory gifts included the Holy Eucharist plus a screwdriver, a flashlight, a pack of cigarettes, and newspaper clippings of his fatal exploits. <laughs> One family member eulogized him by saying, Quote, Rest in peace, you fucking legend. As for the hearst, it's unclear. Uh, You fucking legend. Do you want to go ahead and say it in your fake uh, Irish accent? You fucking legend. (laughs) As for the Hearst, it's unclear if the driver will be charged with anything or whether he'll claim that Jesus took the wheel. So, panel, the way this guy was buried reflected the way he died. Can you think of another ironic way for someone or anyone to be taken to their rest, Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, not necessarily ironic, but this reminds
3: me of something actually kind of nice that they've done for several of our firefighters in town when they've died. They take their casket and they put them on top of the old restored antique fire truck and Drive them around town one last time, but they could definitely step it up a notch and take them to one more fire on the back of that antique fire truck.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, oh, or Viking God. funeral.
3: Well, oh, yeah, I mean Ken God. wants a
1: Viking funeral, so I mean, you we'll know. give it to him. Yeah, Toby, about what do you think? Can you think of another ironic way for someone or anyone to be taken to their final resting place?
4: I don't know. Maybe the other Toby could like be put in a freaking pickup with a barrel of whiskey and that would go up sir- in some,
1: or like couples, roll down a hill in a couple barrel.
4: syringes and uh that that pink automatic weapon and a couple silencers I don't how do we end
1: up talking to the other toby his name is kurt but he is the other toby is he not well that's his to- name is
4: toby toby kurt, kurt oh Kurtzen, that guy yeah his name yeah. is like wilbur toby something <laughs> or other yeah <laughs>
1: Kevin Flynn, what about you? Uh, Can you think of another ironic way for someone or anyone to be taken to the rest?
2: Yeah, I think uh, a bank robber, uh, they could uh, be bringing the coffin in and have the die pack go off inside (laughs) the casket.
1: Ooh, (laughs) that's a good one. That's pretty good. All right, we need to end the show there. Before we do, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? (coughs) We have
3: all sorts of animal things going on. So... I was going with the donkey of the week from Bevan Zimmerman but I have to like give some props to Laura Niskari. Wait, so Bevan Zimmerman's donkey is out. The donkey's out. The donkey was no in the runner, up, runner, runner up, runner up Howard the donkey because I have to tell you Laura Niskari was extremely um persistent with sending me not only cats but ducks and geese and and she kept tweeting me um the fuck so, laura i know so ducks i was like she really wanted ducks to be ducks. cat of the week so first we have the uh ducks outside but then we actually the real cat of the week um her two cats baby blue aka millie and remy remy was almost called van gogh because she lost an ear before she came <gasps> to me and baby blue adopted me both were street urchins in new orleans before they came home willingly. So those are our Cats of the Week this week. The street urchins from New Orleans, home again.
1: Wow. So if Bevan Zimmerman wants to appeal to you so that her donkey can be Cat of the Week next week, or if anyone else just wants to submit their animal, they, of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com or go to our Facebook group. But if they want to tweet you, how can they do that, Lara Bricker? They can find me at Lara Bricker on Twitter. And Toby Ball, folks want to tweet to you to talk about A, either your muscle shirt or all the amazing sound design in Strange Arrivals. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: At uh, Toby Ball NH.
1: And Kevin Flynn, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hey, Kevin. Hey. You're so lucky to be married to Rebecca. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am at Kevin P. Flint. And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at RebLavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And please, please, please join our amazing, super healthy, super supportive Facebook group. It's the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. And everyone there says it's the best group they've ever belonged to. You can find it by going to our regular Facebook page, Crime Writers On. Support the show at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media, and you will get the Crime Writers on After Show right now. Plus, Married with Podcast, Lara Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome, West Coast living Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we toast every successful episode with snifters of Pappy Van Winkle. Yeah. Yeah. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. Later do you want this
2: little fan on before we start yes because now's the time to bend down and switch it on Sorry is it Oh, pull it forward a little bit you want it for
1: your balls my
3: oh sweaty God. balls you
1: need that fan I for your I balls about
3: chuck's balls anymore fucking chuck
1: here we go i'm rebecca lavoy and this is crime writers on by the way we're gonna follow up on that because we never fucking heard about his balls That's the whole other thing
3: in crime, crime media. media.